Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Good morning, good morning. I want to welcome everybody who's streaming the service online from wherever you are. Worship was super hot fire. Can we thank our band again? Gracious. I don't know. You ever know? You ever, you, y'all watch um, Jeff up here when he's playing? He's, he's dropping it up here. I think we should honor him because he's getting a workout. He's burning some calories off uh, in there. So I want to welcome everybody again. And hey, I want to say before we dive into the content, which I am super pumped about what we're going to talk about today, we're going to talk about sex. I just thought that would be better received. Um, before we do that, I want to give you a quick update, something I'm excited about. Uh, hey, we've been chasing a missions offering total. And many of you all know how much money we're trying to raise. Anybody know? What? Say it again. 150 grand. We didn't raise 150 grand. We actually raised that. Boom on that, right? Boom on that. And uh, we've already used some of that money, put it to good use. And uh, my friend Nick Lapino has helped us out. I want to show you, we have a truck already. Look at that. Look at that. And would you see our Price is Right model, Tony... There he is on the lift. And if you've done any work uh, on our food ministry, that lift, we all gave our lives to Jesus all over again when the lift showed up. We're like, my gosh, there it is. Super excited. Well, I want to dive right in. Uh, We've got a lot uh, that I want to talk about, super pumped about this. And this would normally be my space, right? This is always my space where I go, all right, grab your Bible, grab your app, grab your journal, grab whatever it is to do this space. We're going to jump in. But uh, today, because the message is different, I thought I would begin the message different. And I'm going to invite you into a pattern that sh- sometimes shows up in my devotional life. I have been praying a prayer, been familiar with a prayer. Actually, our older daughter, my older daughter, Haley, introduced this to me over a year ago, might have been even a year and a half ago. It's a prayer from uh, some resources called Infinitum, and it is a prayer by uh, my friend Daniel Strickland, and um, I'm going to teach it to you, and it's a, it's a posture prayer. So here's what I'm going to ask us to do, because what I'm saying is different. Uh, this can be different. We're going to start the message different, so I want you to stand up. Here we go. Turn to the person right and tell them your worst sin. No, just... <laughs> Just kidding, just kidding. No, here's, here's what we're gonna do. Um, this is a prayer that, in, <laughs> this, relax. This is a prayer that involves your body and uh, we are body, soul, and spirit. And because we're gonna talk about our bodies, I thought I would just sort of crack my chest open and show you something that I've been doing in my life. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to put your hands out in front of you like we're gonna, we're gonna box. And uh, this is a confessional prayer. We are going to pray an actual prayer, and this is it. But we're going to have our hands out, and I want you to repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I confess the natural posture of my life is to fight for myself. It's to defend myself. It's to wrestle to make something happen. But I choose, choose. as a follower of Jesus, a 
posture of surrender. My life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. Take all of me. I'm yours. And then I want you to put your hands in front of you like this. And this is what I'll do. And uh, clench fists, and we're going to say this. Um, Lord Jesus, I confess that the natural posture of my life is to take, it's to hold on, it's to defend. But I choose, as a follower of Jesus, to open my hands and open my life in a spirit of generosity. Freely I have received. And this is when I will tell Jesus what I need. So this is what I want you to do. Like, do you need courage? Say, I need courage. Uh, I would say, I need forgiveness. I need hope. I need wisdom, Lord. I need strength, courage. I need forgiveness. Maybe that's what you need. Um, I need community. I need belonging. I need eyes to see and ears to hear. And then I say this, freely I've received, freely I give. So today, Jesus, I'm going to look for spaces where what you have given me, I'm going to share with others. And then lastly, I'll do this, and I want you to just cross your arms like this. Last part of the confessional prayer. Uh, Lord Jesus, I confess my natural human posture is to spectate. It's to judge. It's to critique. But I choose as a follower of Jesus to open my arms and to open my life to other people, to the person on the other side of the planet, to the person on the other side of the room, to the last, to the least, to the lost. And I say to them, here I am. You are welcome here. In Jesus' name, amen. Give the Lord a round of applause. Praise God. All right. All right. So now you can be seated. And uh, this is the space to say, yeah, grab notes, Bible journal, whatever it is. We are in an important and arguably challenging series on uh, what we've entitled How Life Works. We're working our way through the words of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going straight through it because we're going straight through it. We're going to say it's challenging. It's going to be challenging for me as a communicator. It's going to be challenging for you as a listener. It's challenging for all of us as followers of Christ. And hey, if you wandered in here and you don't self-identify as a follower of Christ, I'm going to say some things this morning. You're going to think I have lost my freaking mind. 
And uh, so that's what I want to say to us in this moment. And we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount, which is quite literally Jesus' complete understanding as to how life works. Uh, I was thinking about this. So um, most of us, when we think about how we do our lives, I think many of us would give me this, we orient our lives around a particular philosophy, right? Particular uh, way of being, a particular ethic, a particular belief, a particular pattern. And then we build memories, muscle memories around those things. And, and if life goes well or doesn't go well, it goes well or doesn't go well, commensurate and in equal value to how far we lean into, right? The ethics, the things we believe, the things that we're, we have incorporated in our lives that this is how we live our life. Uh, I was thinking about this as sort of a couple of uh, quick examples. You know, if you came in here this morning and you said, you know what, I don't know if it's okay to admit this in the room, I don't believe in gravity. And you admitted that, like, I don't believe in gravity, I don't think it exists. Then there's going to come a moment, wouldn't we all agree, in your life when you are going to run into the consequences of your belief or non-belief about what? Gravity, right? Uh, Years ago... Uh, I was, when I was in a doctoral cohort, uh, working on a doctoral degree, biblical preaching, Christian church leadership, there were 14 of us in the cohort, all of us men, didn't mean we didn't have women, just that year they selected 14 guys who had applied and we were in this group. Every single one of us in the group was married except one guy. There's only one guy that was single. And we never really could figure it out. Why is, well, I don't know why he's single. He was really fit. He was really good looking guy. I would say outside of me, probably the second best looking guy. <laughs> Seeing if you're with me, you know. And we could never figure it out. And one, one day we were talking and one of the guys who is married was talking about marriage. And as he was talking about marriage, he started talking about forgiveness. And like, you know, when you live in marriage long enough, you gotta learn how to do what? Forgive. And, and when he was talking about this, he's talking about forgiveness, it was there in that moment that our single friend came to life. He popped up right there in that moment. I'll never forget this moment. And he said, you know what? That's interesting. I don't believe that's how relationships work. Now, mind you, he's a single guy. And he goes, I believe, this is a quote. He goes, I believe love means never having to say you're sorry. And the minute he said that, we all went, we know why you're single. <laughs> we figured it out. It's like the, the birds sang, the clouds parted. We had it all figured out. And so what I want you to know is that this is Jesus' understanding as to how life works. And so as a follower of Jesus, here's what I would say. It would be important for us to know this. It would be important for us to consider how the guy that rose from the dead says life actually works, right? Come on, right? And so what I'm thinking about this is this is important for all of us. And even if you're here this morning and uh, I'm gonna share some things that I think are in alignment with how God says life works. If you disagree with me, here's what I would just say. It's that we can live in disagreement, but this is just Jesus' understanding uh, of how life works. And I know that you guys expect nothing differently from me as your pastor uh, we live in a day when a lot of this gets pushed around, and I'm just going to admit to you, honestly, I am not easily pushed around. I never have been, never will be. So um, that's just sort of the thing. 
And so um, to the degree that we're willing to live into this and believe in this, it's to that exact degree that we experience the blessings or the burdens of our decisions. This is part of what it means to be human. And so uh, with that in mind, um, I want us to talk about sex. Now, this is the thing I want to say. This is PG-13+. plus. So we've said everything we can do here. If you're, yeah, if you're listening online, this is the, consider yourself warned, get the kids out of the room. I'm going to light this place on fire in about five minutes, okay? So this is what I want to say uh, about that. And I was thinking about this. Um, you know, the reason this is important is because sex is a subject that impacts us in so many powerful ways, right? Wouldn't we agree? Uh, sex is personal to us. It's core to us. It touches every level of vulnerability at every age, single, married, divorced, gay, straight, gender, confused, young, old, all of us. And so uh, because of that, I want, I want to tell you my posture. I want to bring a lot of truth into the room to open some conversation. I want to bring a lot of grace in the room. All of us, all of us have sexual baggage in, in this room. I don't, I don't know about you. But I can tell you when I first learned about sex. I was in the fifth grade. Might have been the fourth grade. I was really trying to think about this, but I, I kind of think it was the fifth grade. So very young. And uh, we were in lunchroom at an, an extended break. I don't remember what was going on. And there was a guy, wasn't even a friend of mine. He was an acquaintance. And he was a guy, and we were all sitting around. And, uh, you know, there's always a guy, can I just say? Right, there's always a guy. It's always that girl. There's always that guy. And he started telling us about sex, and, and he, he told us um, about a woman's anatomy and what a woman's anatomy looked like and how parts come together and A part comes to B part and all of that. And I'm just going to honestly admit to you guys as a fifth grader, I did not believe him. I did not believe him. I said, oh my gosh, I, I didn't believe, I thought that he's talking nonsense, I didn't believe that. And that's where I was in, in the fifth grade, I think, might have been fourth, but fifth grade, until a year later when I was in the sixth grade, and I was with my best friend, and my best friend, one day I was down at his house, and his parents weren't home, and he said, come with me, I want to show you something, and he took me into his father's closet, and he showed me all of the Playboy and Penthouse magazines that his father had. And I learned in that moment, first thing, I didn't even know this, and I learned in that moment, I'm clearly heterosexual. <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to own it. I was mesmerized. And with the same, with the same level of excitement, I felt a commensurate level of shame. And it's almost as though, y'all, I knew intuitively I was looking at something I didn't have a right to look at. Isn't that interesting? Sixth grade. Uh, One day I was back down at his house, and he asked me again. I should have known better. He said, I want to show you something else I found. And it was pictures of his mom and dad. And uh, I share that story with you just to simply say, right, um, all of us have stories like this. 
And all of us uh, in those moments, you know, we're, when as young as you were, you, you feel the vulnerability and the shame and the embarrassment and the sensitivity around this subject. Uh, we don't talk about it enough. When we do talk about it, we, we, we talk about it in some weird ways. When we practice it, we practice it in private, or we should. And it creates a space in our minds and our hearts and our bodies that leaves us vulnerable uh, to feelings of vulnerability and shame and insecurity and, and embarrassment. I, I, what I want to say to you in these next moments, um, I want you to think of it this way. I can't tell you everything that um, I want to say in a space like this. I can't, I can't do all of that. I had a guy this week that said, can't wait to hear sex tips from Pastor Dale. That is not what this is about. But um, I would tell you this. I would tell you this. I want you to think of what I'm saying today as a working document, as a white paper, if you will, about what I believe in my current journey as a follower of Jesus about sexuality and, and, and what, I, what I am aiming our church as the founding and lead pastor to believe. And I'm doing this. This is really what I'm doing today. I'm opening the door to some more conversations that I believe we need to have, probably off of the platform around this important subject. Uh, I was reading a while back and um, from a social uh, commentator who had some important things to say about this that connect exactly with the scripture that I want to read to you. This is why we're talking about it. This was, this was the challenge I told the teaching team. We're going to go right through the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to plow right through it. And, and my team, they started, they, I would tell you what they did. They started reading the Sermon on the Mount and counting the days on the calendar as trying to figure out when they're preaching and what they're preaching on. And they were so thankful that I got chosen for this day. But uh, Matthew chapter 5, here's where the subject is teed up. Listen very carefully to Jesus' words, beginning in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. He says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, and we might say a man lustfully, has already committed adultery with her or him in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away, for it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away, for it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It's been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Wow. Again, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is God's footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot even make hair your hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So let's unpack this real quickly. He's talking about adultery. Now, I want you to notice that Jesus 
is doing again what Trev teed up last week for the first time when he was talking about the subject of murder. And Jesus takes a topic for which most of us don't apply. And because if he didn't do this, we might be tempted to read something like that and go, doesn't include me. And we just keep motoring on. And what he does is he zooms it out to include everybody. Last week, you'll remember, uh, Jesus said, you've heard it said, don't commit murder. But I say to you, do not even murder someone with your tongue. Super challenging. This week, he's doing the same thing. I say to you, do not commit adultery. But what Jesus is doing is moving the conversation away from that into a topic that opens up to really the spirit of what the law is actually pointing to. And he's saying that, you know, maybe not everybody in the room or listening online has committed adultery, and I know some have, but he's saying, let me just zoom it out. If you ever look at somebody lustfully, you're committing adultery. I remember years ago when I was in seminary first learning about this, because that's a hard, that's a hard teaching. And uh, I remember I was taking an exegesis class, which is what preachers have to take. I think Brandon just finished one or is in one right now. And, Brand- and it's a class where we learn the original language and we learn as preachers how to take the original intent of the language, how to take the original language and move it into a, into a modern culture. It's not easy. And uh, my professor, Dr. Wong, I'll never forget, he was a diminutive Chinese man. He was very stern. He was very disciplined. He was very, quite honestly, intimidating. And, and one day he was reminding us as preachers that one day we're going we're gonna to stand in front of churches. And he said, you're going to preach God's word. And he said, this space, like this space right here, is super serious space. Never, ever take it for granted Because people are building their spiritual lives on what you say, and you better know what you're saying. I got the message. And then he he told a story about a missionary who he knew who kept coming to the altar praying because he battled a spirit of lust, and he couldn't get over it. He just kept lusting, and he and finally he he came in just a moment of surrender and said, "I, I, I I can't quit lusting. And I'm going to go home, and I'm going to quit the ministry. And, and as Dr. Wong began to talk to this young man, he realized that he, he, had, he had been told incorrectly what, what Jesus is saying here. So this is important, because what Jesus is saying, he's not saying that we don't have attraction to other human beings. I mean, God has literally wired us to have attraction. So when you see someone and you're attracted to them, he's not saying that. What he is saying He's pointing to the, what, what he described as the long, second, lingering look. Stop that. So you see how important this is, right? So Jesus is talking about this, and he's, he's really opening it up, and he's saying, though not all of you have committed adultery, all of us have lusted. And then he says this, he says, he talks about divorce, and we're going to see in just a moment he's, he's really addressing an issue in a patriarchal society that benefited males. Divorce still yet today benefits most males, even in the West. Lots of sociology around this. And he says divorce is a sin. I'm often asked, is divorce a sin? Yes, divorce is a sin. I tell people sometimes when they come to me and they go, I, my, my marriage is ending, and I will often tell them, male and female, I said, you better do every single thing you can do to avoid that. 
every single thing you can do, because there's going to be a moment you're going to want to look in the mirror and say, I did everything I could do. And I remind people often in that moment, unless, unless we're talking about abuse and, and frankly, even sexual uh, you know, infidelity and people can be healed and recover from that. I've seen that, praise God for that. But I often, often re- remind people you know, in that moment, it's just not ever anything to take lightly. And can we be forgiven of that? Yes. It's not the unpardonable sin, but he's saying, this is serious. And written into a culture back then, which is very similar today, we're going to talk about in a moment, this is super important. Then he talks about oaths. Notice him, and he says these oaths like, you know, uh, should I cut my hand off? Should I cut my arm? I mean, should I gouge my eye out? And of course, we would say no to that. But, but here's what he's saying. Your word matters. Can I just say that, that, that right here? Like, your word matters. You know, we teach our children. I was thinking about this. We teach our children. You, you probably know it. They knew it at 9. Let's see if you know it at 1030. We teach our kids to say, when you make a promise, cross your heart and hope to die. Here's what Jesus is literally saying. It's less cross your heart and more hope to die. You know, anybody can cross their heart. Are you willing to die for your promises? This is what he's saying. And so he moves us very gently into a conversation. And and here's what's going on if you're taking notes. Jesus is doing something very interesting. Rather than offering us an orientation to the spiritual life, he is quite honestly offering a disorientation to what we know life to be. It's a radical unlearning of the behaviors and practices observed within a society over toward a new set of beliefs, behaviors, and practices, the ones that are actually required to bring heaven to earth and for our lives to, to be lives of blessing that God has planned for us. And so he keeps doing this thing over and over again. You have heard it said, but I say to you. You have heard it said, but I say to you. You have heard it said, but I say to you. He is subverting the narratives of the day. So a year or so back, I was um, doing some reading on this, and I told the teaching team way before we really put this on the thing, I said, you know, honestly, I know we're all avoiding this. Like, eh, we need to have a conversation about sex in our church because I want to open the door to have more conversations about sex in our church because we're all dying under the weight of the cultural narrative. So I've been doing a lot of reading on this, and I've been doing a lot of listening to podcasts and doing a lot of my own personal study. And a while back, I ran into a social commentator that was just remarking on all of the changes that have happened in our generation in the last 50 years since 1960, I I should say. You know, here's some of the changes to just to keep moving on. The internet, email, smartphone, post-Christian culture, civil rights, terrorism, gay marriage, mapping of the human genome. The list is really sort of endless, and uh, it's created a lot of social unrest and a lot of emotional anxiety. But the list uh, perhaps pales into the, the, the sweeping changes that have happened in our culture around the subject of sexuality in the last 50 years. And so uh, I thought this was super interesting, and I want to I share these things with you if you're taking notes, and, and I hope really I'm going to say some things here because I'm really wanting to open this up for our younger folks in, in the audience. And my, my goal is really this, 
that parents will be given a tool in what I'm saying today and you can grab your kids at age-appropriate levels and go, I want, to, want you to hear this and I want, to, I want us to talk about this. So I'm putting a stake in the ground. But listen to some of these tectonic shifts that have happened in the language of sexuality just in the last 40 or 50 years. Number one, if you're taking notes, sex has been disconnected from child-rearing and family. Uh, birth control was adopted in 1960. Listen to this. Do, do we remember it was legalized for single people in 1972? So before 1972, it was illegal without a husband or a wife to have birth control. Sounds almost archaic to say that. And so for most of human history, it's simply not possible up until this moment to experience sexuality outside of a corresponding high degree of responsibility. And when the simple move from the FDA, sex moved from procreation to pleasure, just like that. Number two, sex has been disconnected from marriage. No longer is it about two people, a man and a woman, in a committed covenantal relationship till death do us part, as it has been for the last two millennia, not only for Christians, but for Muslims, for the Dalai Lama and those who follow him. Up until the West in the last 50 years, that has remained true. And this alone has created in our society enormous anxiety around sexuality because so many of us have soul ties to other people that we do not uh, have long-term commitments with. A little physiology here. I think, I, I think we can handle it. When you're attracted to someone, your body releases endorphins, which is referred to as feel-good hormones. Now, think about this against Scripture. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. This is how God has made us. And it really, uh, those who study this stuff say this is the physiology of the nurture of attraction and possible connection. But now this, when you sleep with someone and you have an orgasm, your body releases oxytocin, which is the bonding hormone. And a lot of us then, because we sleep around, are bonded to people without long-term commitments, and there's enormous brokenness and anxiety about this. Uh, We say this in our culture, I'm looking for my soulmate. Turns out, turns out, that's kind of true. And I'm just going to tell you this word of personal privilege here, as one of your pastors on the team, I'm in a lot of these conversations, and we're hurting. We're broken. We are so jacked up as a culture because we bought all the line of the cultural narrative, and we're just creating soul ties. And and here's what I'll tell you. I'm only at number two. Let's go to number three. Sex has become disconnected from male-female relationships. This is where we would enter here the conversation about same-sex relationships, uh, Less than two years into the legalization of gay marriage in America, it feels longer. This is a complex conversation. The church, I think, in general, has to learn how to have a better conversation. I have friends uh, who refer to themselves as side-A gay Christians, 
which means they read the scripture and think there's license to to practice same-sex gay sex. I have friends who are side B Christian, gay Christians, and they read the Bible and they say, even though I'm sexually attracted, even though I'm with a partner, I don't feel that I can have sex. The Bible outlaws it. That is the camp uh, that I'm in. But this is a super complex conversation. And add to it this. The Bible says nothing about orientation. It only talks about practice. And so we can't, with really biblical integrity, place any lines about orientation because the Bible really doesn't speak to it. And I, I think it's a disservice a lot of times when we bring up these conversations like they're all lumped together. Let's talk about LGBTQIA plus whatever. And I want to go, that's unfair. That's inappropriate. Each one of these things is super complex. There's a lot of feeling. There's a lot of deep emotion uh, around this. And I think the church has to do way better in its conversation about this. I talk to my gay friends, and I'll be honest with you. I'm just going to say this. I bet I have more conversations with same-sex attracted and same-sex sexual practicing people uh, than anybody in this room. I would just say, I bet I do. And here's what I would tell you. I hear similar themes. These are precious people that pretty young, when they notice and feel something's different, they discover, this is often a word I hear, they discover they're gay, they try to pray it away, their thoughts of suicide, and then they're left outside their families of origin, and they're left outside the family of God. And I think that's wrong. Don't clap, I'll offend you in a minute, so don't clap. Um, It's a big wrestle here. It's a big wrestle in my denomination. That's why I don't feel like I belong. It's my denomination wants to push a narrative that says I have to read the Bible the way I just don't read the Bible. I just don't. And then the other part of my denomination says I I can't be loving and welcoming. And that's not the way I read the Bible. And so I just think we need to have better conversations around this. And, you know, I don't want to do what Trevor showed last week. I don't want to do, I don't want to do a Thomas Jefferson Bible or cut parts out of it. I don't think we have to do that. And I want to, I want, I want to love uh, all people. I, I ran into some friends of mine. They've been friends of mine in, in, in our community a long, long time. And uh, they're a couple and, and uh, they're, they're going to have a baby. And, and I, we were connecting and talking and, and, she said to me, she said, she knows I'm a pastor. We, again, we've been friends a long, long time. And she goes, hey, we've been thinking. Uh, we, we, we were thinking maybe about coming to your church. What do you think about that? Now, I knew what she was asking. And you guys, you guys know me, and I've known them a long time. So I said, hey, are you asking me like what I think about you coming to our church because you're gay? And then she goes, well, if you put it that way. <laughs> and I said, I'd say you're welcome. And I would say, come and learn. And we're, we're all under the same narrative. We all have to, to acquiesce all of our body parts to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that, that's not a narrative around gay people, right? That's a narrative around every person. So we can live in these tensions and have these conversations uh, about that. Here's another one. This is the biggest one, and I'm going to push two more real quickly. 
Sex is disconnected from love, emotion, and relational commitment of any kind. Um, I won't do this at earlier. I said, how many of y'all have heard of the Tinder app? And then I asked people, I said, do you swipe right or swipe left? Nobody responded. And I said, good, that's a trick question. <laughs> but but let, me just, let me just say this very interesting. Uh, this is our, now our new ethos when it comes to sex. Many people are delaying marriage to establish a career, some as far as 15 or 20 years. But here's the thing. They're not delaying sex. They still, still want sex, but they're delaying their their commitments. And um, here's the interesting thing about this. Uh, none of that is new. Can I tell you what is new? We are, um, we are now touting this as moral pro- progress and, and, and freedom. And here's where I want to again step up as a pastor and say, if this is the new moral progress and the new freedom, how come we don't all look free. Because I'm talking about conversations I have. We don't look free. It feels like bondage. And this is what's happening. It's, it's sort of interesting. I'm going to take another step here. Um, single people are having the less sex they've had in, in the last 50 years. And it's not because they're all becoming followers of Jesus. It's because um, they've looked at so much porn, they can't connect anymore with other human beings. Uh, Which leads me to the last one. This is stunning. This is the world we live in. We have disconnected sex from people altogether. You can now have a sex robot. Uh, this is the flip side of the loner culture. Let me tell you about this. You pick an anime character to fall in love with. You create it on your computer. You buy a doll that looks exactly like it. And the amount of money you spend on the doll is commensurate to your love for this doll that you marry. You can have a relationship with this doll. You can have sex with this doll. And listen to this. You pre-program the doll to say and do only what you want it to say and do. All this is the next step of the proliferation of pornography in our culture. Uh, you saw recently Billie Eilish uh, came out and she said to the world that she spent years addicted to pornography and it's destroyed her. John Mayer said, um, relationships are hard They're almost not worth it anymore. And in a very provocative article in Rolling Stone, he just said, it's easier to watch porn and masturbate. And so this is why we're not seeing each other anymore. And it's so confusing. And I want to say, if you have sexual baggage in here, hey, hey, welcome to the club. And if you're broken and confused, and if you're, you know, single or divorced, we see you. If you're gay, I see you. If you're gender confused, I see you. God sees you.
But the question that underlies all this that I think Jesus is pointing at is simply this, because this is what the culture is telling you. You're only meat. It's all you are. You're just a physiological urge looking for a release. It's the propagation of the species. And that's one way you can look at life. Years ago, I did a series called uh, Faith and Doubt, and I quoted Jennifer Hecht, who's a new atheist, and this is what she says. The universe, listen to this, universe is nothing more than an accidental pile of stuff jostling around with no rhythm or reason, and all of life is but a tiny, utterly inconsequential speck of nothing in the corner of a space existing in the blink of an eye, never to be judged, never to be noticed, never to be remembered. And that's, that's one understanding of our world. And you get to choose if that's it. Or, or, are you a soul? Is there meaning? Is there purpose? Uh, Because it's 1030, I'm going to go just a half a fraction longer because, again, I want want the podcast. And I want to point you guys to this. Um, I'm going to read it to you. I want you to notice something again. Let me me end the message in a way, and I'm working to a landing. Let me end it where we began, and Jesus talking about divorce. Later on, the conversation comes up again. And in Matthew chapter 19, um, he is invited into the conversation about divorce again. Again, male-dominated culture, women are property. And, and uh, I want you to notice this. Matthew 19, verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee, went to a region of Judea, the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him. He healed them there. Some of the Pharisees came to him. Pharisees came to him. Look at what it says here. Pharisees came to test him. So this is a question. But here's what I want you to notice. It's, it's not a question. It's a test question. Notice that. It's different. They're trying, to, they're trying to force him to say something. And you better say something or we're going to shame you. You know what I've noticed? What, I think the woke culture are the new Pharisees. All they, all they, all they want to do is ask test questions And when you answer, if you don't answer the way they want you to answer, what do they do? They shame you. That's what I believe they are. We should all not participate. We should all give that really no attention. But here's what I find is interesting. I want to to make sure I get this out. Uh, Jesus said, so Jesus, they said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And then Jesus does this brilliant thing. Another reason why I love Jesus, he wins. He goes, haven't you read? Now think about this real quickly. He's talking to the Pharisees. They're the religious experts. And he's, and he's sort of saying, haven't you read? And then note, but then notice, notice what he does here. He says, haven't you read that the beginning, the creator made them male and female, said that for this reason, a man and fa- uh, will leave his father and mother, be united his wife, and the two will become one flesh. They're no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no men separate. Here's what I would tell you as I, as I work to a close. Long before... There was morality about sex. There was anthropology about it. And long before there was anthropology about it, as we see here, there's theology about it. 
And uh, I, I just want to say, this is what Jesus does. He says, haven't you read? So he takes him to the Bible. Genesis 1, page 1. He says, at the beginning. Oh, here comes the story Jesus is going to tell. In the beginning, there was a creator. Wait, there's a creator? So life is not without meaning. There's a creator. He made them male and female. Wait, there's male and female for this reason. Genesis 2. So the meaning and purpose, there's meaning and purpose to the marriage and romance and love. A man will leave his father and mother. Wait, there's family and be united. Yikes, what's that? To his wife, not his girlfriend, not a tender partner. And the two become one flesh. What does that mean? So they're no longer two but one. Therefore, what the Lord has joined together, let no man separate. Do you see it? This is, this is not where the conversation ends. This is what I want to do. This is where the conversation begins. It's where the conversation begins. I mean, we would say it, sex is good. Sex is, is powerful. Sexual sin's different. We should be very careful. And our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Red, yellow, black, and white. Married, gay, confused. We should be careful. Amen. Here's how I want to close. Will you stand? All right, everybody. All right, everybody, come on, hands up. Lord Jesus, my natural posture is to fight for myself. It's to defend myself. It's to force something to happen. But I choose, as a follower of Jesus, posture of surrender. My life's not my own. I've been bought with a price. Take all of me. I'm yours. Lord Jesus, I confess the natural posture of my life is to take, to hold, to hold back, to hold on. But I choose as a follower of Jesus to open my hands and open my life. Freely I've received tell them what you need to receive I need to receive forgiveness just tell them, you can say it out loud I need hope give me wisdom, give me vision give me courage not to live a cultural narrative cultural moment teach me how to honor you with my body just tell them whatever it is you need and now, say it say it, and now as a follower of Jesus I'm going to take what I've received and share it with the world. And Jesus, my natural human posture is to spectate. It's to judge. It's to stand back and say, it's not my problem, but I choose as a follower of Jesus to open my hands and my life to all people person on the other side of the planet person on the other side of the room the people closest to me 
the least, the last, the lost. And I say, here I am. I see you. And you are welcome here. Go in his grace.